Uh, my name is Ricky, and yeah, serve as one of the pastors here. When I was in high school, I worked at an auto repair shop. That's not because I know how to fix cars. That's because I was the go get it, clean that up guy. And um, one day, I'm cleaning up in the shop, and uh, yeah, just cleaning everything off the floor. And I see this transmission on the ground, and I, you know, there's a bunch of just like dirt and stuff around it. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna go clean up over there. And so I get over close to it, and I hear this voice. I don't know if I would do that. And I, I look around, and over there, working on a car, is one of the mechanics, Doug. And I'm like, man, are you talking to me? And he's like, yep, yeah, I don't know if I'd do that. Now, Doug and I, he was, he was kind of like in his 20s, and we would give each other a hard time and razz each other a bunch. So in my mind, when he said, I don't know if I'd do that, I'm thinking, he doesn't think I'm strong enough to pick this up. Huh, what a fool. I will show him, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, man, I got it. And he's like, I don't think I'd do that. Yep, totally ignore him. Bend down, boom, pick it up. And I'm thinking, man, that was no problem because I'm super strong, right? But um, so I pick it up and I'm like, man, this thing's actually super light. What is he thinking? This thing's cake. And so I start walking to put it somewhere else and I'm like, huh, feel something. What is, what is that? Get a little farther. I'm like, man, that feels, oh gosh. And I feel it. All of the transmission fluid that was in the transmission has now come on to me. And I set it down and it's, it's all over. I mean, it is, it's running down. And, and he's over, Doug's over there just like laughing hysterically. But that day I learned a very important lesson. And that's this, listening is a critical life skill. <laughs> and you know, and if you don't listen, it can really cost you. And we've all had those moments, right, where, where we, oh, man, I really wish I would have listened, but we didn't. And, and it's, but there's something in us, right? There's something in us that, that kind of prevents us from listening. Something in the human heart that's just like if somebody's telling us, you know, maybe some advice or what to do to correct something, we're just kind of, our natural inclination is not like, oh, thanks, Doug. Thanks, friend. Whatever it might be, we push back on that. Why is that? And today, in, in this parable that we're looking at, Jesus, through, through this parable, through this interaction that he's having with the religious leaders, is, is showing them their own hearts and really showing us our heart to help us to understand what is it that is in the human heart that, that really pushes against that? What's going on that, that, help, that makes it hard for us to listen? So if you've got a Bible... Open up to Matthew 21. Matthew is in the New Testament. So Matthew 21. And um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke. So as you're turning there, again, this is, this is the week where we're at in the story. This is just days before Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. This is the last week that is leading up to that. And, and he's entered Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. He's cleansed the temple. Then he cursed a, a fig tree. And he's having this conversation. After he, he cleanses the temple, the next day he goes back to the temple. And he's having this conversation with the, the Pharisees, with the religious leaders and the elders that are there in the temple. And that started a little bit earlier in the chapter. And he's already told them one parable about kind of like false advertising. You claim to follow God. You came, claim to do this, but you're not really practicing or living it out. And he continues 
this interaction with them. Now with this parable, pick it up in verse 30, for 33. First, first word, you know, if you're just like, all right, you'd like to mark in your Bible or if you're not looking at it, here's a great way to look at it. I would just say, underline, circle that first word. Right, what's the first word that he says there? Listen. Listen, thank you. Right, listen. That's the first word. Listen, pay attention. Hey, chief priests, hey, elders, listen up. So just circle, underline that. Listen up. And, and as he goes to tell them this parable, this is very similar to a parable in Isaiah chapter 5. And in Isaiah 5, um, there... God, God compares his creation of Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, who plant, uh, that, that he compares them to a man who planted a vineyard and left it under the care of, of some workers. But then when the time of harvest came, right, it's very similar to this one, when, when God goes to find the fruit in Isaiah chapter 5, the fruit is the problem. The fruit is sour, it's, it's stinky. And, and it talks about, that, and, and because in Isaiah, it's so, it's so bad, the fruit is so bad that God destroys the vineyard. And everyone listening to Jesus' parable here in Matthew 21 would be re- very familiar with Isaiah chapter 5. And that story in I- Isaiah 5 kind of lets, God, or God tells them that story through Isaiah. And it's like, hey, all the fruit of Israel is very stinky. It's sour. It's ruined because of you're not living in covenant faithfulness to God. You're not living out what he's called you to do. And when God, in the the parable in Isaiah 5, he destroys the, the vineyard, that's kind of like letting Israel know, hey, because of your unfaithfulness to God, judgment is coming to you. This is why the exile, when you were, people took you off into another country, this is why this happened. And so they would have been... Very familiar with this story. And Jesus, he tells it, tells it very clearly, but changes it somewhat. Um, so verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And he leased it to some ten, tenant farmers and went away. So first you see, man, the, the, the landowner, he definitely thinks this place is going to produce fruit. He puts a lot of care, puts a lot of things around. It's not just a field, but, but he puts, he takes a lot of care for his vineyard. Sorry, I'm kind of like, it's puffing there a little bit. Um, he builds a protecting wall against fire, against animals, against, he has a watchtower to look for thieves, to keep eye on it. He builds a wine press because it's like, man, this vineyard's going to produce a lot of fruit. And he just wants to press the grapes there for wine right there. So that's his expectation. Then after he builds this wine press, he le- leases it out to some tenants. Now this would be kind of very familiar. This, this um, at the time, he, he's basically the owner has this investment property, right? It's not something that he necessarily, um, you know, he, he would have had this field and it's not like he's going to farm it, but he's just saying, hey, I'm going to go live somewhere else, but I'm going to lease it out to these people. And they would agree, hey, if you, you work the land, you, you, you tend to it, you take care of it, and as it produces fruit, I'll give you a portion of that. You know, that they're going to get paid, the, the tenants, but the risk, right, is on the owner. He's the one who's bought the field, and it takes about a few years before a field really starts producing fruit, so he's taking the risk. If the field has a deficit, he's the one that eats it. The, far, the, the tenants get paid no matter what. So, verse 
So that's kind of what's going on. Verse, um, verse 34. So he leased it to the, tenors, or the tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. All right, so it's, it's just like, hey, it's time. Let, give me what's mine and I'll give you what's yours. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. I mean, whoa, this, I mean, like, this is the, the story really starts heating up here. You know, it's just kind of like, hey, we've already agreed to all this. We already know what's going on. You're going to get paid. I'm going to get my fruit. We already talked about all this. So he just sends his servants. Hey, it's time. Time to settle up. And they just, no, let's just beat one. Let's kill another. I mean, it gets pretty intense. Verse 36. Again, he sent, the owner sends more servants, more than the first group. And they did the same. Now, this part you know, yeah, he sends more, but I'm just thinking, like, if you were the owner and you just sent a few servants and you're like, all right, well, he beat one, killed one, stoned one, are you just like, well, let me just send more. I think if I'm sending more, I'm like, hey, why don't we send some troops with you? Why don't, you know, why don't we send some, why don't you at least take a weapon or something like that? Be, you know, especially if I was one of the guys he was serving, what happened to the last guy? Uh, well, he's stoned. <laughs> Not good. Um, you know, but, but he, he sends more. They do the same thing. Then verse 37, finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. I mean, does that seem smart? I mean, again, I mean, just th think about this situation. I mean, can, imagine if there was a principal at a school and there's this rowdy classroom going on. And the, the teacher comes out crying. Oh, they're horrible. Okay, you know what? Let me just send in a different teacher and handles business. And then they tie that teacher to a chair and just push him out in the hallway. You know, and they're like, ah! You know, the chair falls over, bam! Okay, let's send in the counselor. Counselor comes out with a black eye. All right, I mean business here. We're sending in the janitor. Janitor goes in there and he, they just come out and, and they're beat up real bad. Now, if you're the principal, are you like, hmm, I know. I'll send my kid. Get in there, Carson. <laughs> right? You'd be like, this, what, this is crazy. The, the, these owners, these tenants are, are, not the owners, the tenants are going nuts. And, and that just doesn't make sense. I know I'll send my son. Now, in sending the son, the owner is sending kind of like the highest person that he could possibly Send in there. This would represent, his son would represent his complete authority of the owner. Be the full representation, basically, of the father. Surely they'll respect my son. Verse 38. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. So they see the son. Oh, he's going to get the inheritance. Let's kill him and we'll get the inheritance for ourselves. Now, I don't really know why they think this plan's going to work. I don't know if the, I don't know, maybe they just think that, well, if we, if we just keep killing the servants, now we killed the son, the, maybe the, the owner will just be like, well, that's just too much work. You just take the field. I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't seem like a great plan, but that's what they're thinking. So it gets to the end of the story. Jesus asked them this question to, to the religious leaders. 
Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? Now ask yourself, if, the, if you're the owner, what would you do? Right? Probably a bunch of you are like, I don't know if I want to say that out in church. <laughs> I'll just tell you what a, probably a bunch of you are thinking. I mean, if that, was, if that happened to me, I'm like, I'm going to handle business. I'm like, it's, you, your life's over. <laughs> like, I mean, I ain't putting up with that. It's, it's crazy. And so he asked them that question. Then the religious leaders, they, have, they basically have the same thought. They say, he will completely destroy those terrible men. And, and they say it even kind of like, that, yeah, he will, he'll, those terrible men, he will terribly end their life. Wretchedly, like really bad, completely destroy them. He'll take, he'll lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give it him his fruit at the harvest time. Okay, so Jesus kind of gets to the end of the parable. Ask them that question. What would you do? They say, yeah, we, they would, we'd kill those guys. So what does this all mean? What's the point of this? Jesus kind of quotes some scripture here. Verse 42. He said to them, have you ever read the scriptures? Which he's talking to people that that's their living is to read the Bible. So it's kind of funny. And then he quotes from Psalm 118. Have you, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and giving to a people producing its fruit. And so... Jesus, as he quotes here, the, the irony of this, when he quotes this psalm from Psalm 118, again, this is the week leading up to Passover. They're actually saying, it's one of the psalms that they would be quoting daily as they're leading up to Passover. So, like, he's, he's saying this psalm, and they're probably had already said it this morning, this same passage. They said it yesterday, they'll say it tomorrow. Have you ever read this? The stone, the builders rejected. So imagine if there's an architect or somebody, you know, an, an inspector, and they're, they're putting together some really big structure that's made out of stones. Could even be like the temple that they're, they're actually standing in. And they're bringing these big stones. And so the, the inspector would be like, all right, no, that stone will be great. That'll be placed in this wall on this side. This stone's great. Oh, this stone has, has a flaw, has a crack. No, doesn't get to be part of the, the building at all. And so that, that's kind of like the scene there. And so one of these stones that, that the, the inspector, the people in charge, had said, no, that stone can't even be part of it. It's rejected. It's discarded. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's that stone that ends up being not just part of the wall, but the cornerstone. The thing that the whole building is built around. It's the only stone that is strong enough to bear the weight of the whole building is the one that, that was rejected. And that's, he's talking about himself. Just like the son was rejected in the parable, right? The son was rejected. Now Jesus is, is swinging to the Old Testament to say, hey, this is actually talking about himself. The, the son that was rejected is just like the stone that was rejected. And that stone that you've rejected, he's talking to the religious leaders, will become what all of this is built on. 
the whole, basically all of, of what God is doing will be built on the rejected stone, the rejected son in Jesus Christ. And you see that in other places in the New Testament, Acts 4, Ephesians 1, 1 Peter, they all say the same thing about Jesus being that rejected stone that became the cornerstone. Jesus is making this clear to them, hey, that's you. You're, you're, you're the ones that think you're in charge of everything and you're rejecting it. Rejecting the son that was from the father. Verse 43, and he tells them very plainly, Therefore I tell you, because you're the ones that are rejecting what God has done, you're rejecting his son, you're rejecting that stone, therefore the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shadow him. You know, we, we could be broken in humble surrender before God, or, or we could be completely broken in judgment. Verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. I think most of us are like, duh. At this point, like, you know, they're listening to this whole story. Wait a minute, you're talking about, you're talking about me, Jesus? You're like, duh, lay on, lay It seems pretty obvious. And so, the, here the, the vineyard, just like it is on Isaiah 5, Old Testament, that they would have been familiar with, this vineyard here in the parable is Israel. Right? It's, it's, it's what God is wanting to do. In the world, and, and God had given Israel the law. He had brought them out of slavery. He'd given them a land. He's fulfilled promises. And God wants his people, his vineyard, to produce fruit, to live a different life than all the nations around them, than all the people around them, that they would live in holiness, that they would love God, that they would love others, that they'd be a compassionate people, a forgiving people, a holy, set-apart people, and that as they follow God, as they're in right relationship with God, looking to his word, looking to his law, that they would live differently in their relationship with God and with one another, and they would show the world, they would be a blessing to the nations, a light to the world. This is what the people of God look like. This is what community right family looks like and how we treat one another we love one another all of these things and all of these messengers that God had sent the people as they strayed away from God are talking about the Old Testament the prophets God sent so many prophets to warn them to reach them to tell them repent to move back into relationship with God and you see all over the Old Testament the religious leaders, the people, they, they treated the, the prophets very poorly. Jeremiah, he was beaten multiple times. Ezekiel was murdered. Isaiah, it said that he was to have been sawed in two. Zechariah, he was stoned in the temple. So that's, that's what they've always done. Leaders killed them. Prophets of God. And Jesus is telling them here... Hey, God has been doing this all of this old all of along, and then God is going to send His Son, and you're going to reject Him. You're going to reject Him, and actually, you're going to kill Him. But just like the rejected cornerstone, it'll become the chief. the The rejected stone will become the chief cornerstone. And he's talking about His death, 
his crucifixion that's coming up, and his resurrection. That, hey, through the resurrection, Jesus will become that chief cornerstone. And because of your rejection, he's, t- he's talking just to these religious leaders. He's not even really talking to the disciples. He's saying, because of your rejection, because of your willful unbelief, your lack of repentance, over and over again, the authority that was given to you to care for the people is going to be taken away from you. And it's going to be given to somebody else to, be, to produce fruit. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be taken away from Israel and given to the Gentiles, although kind of like it includes the Gentiles, but it's going to be taken away from you religious leaders and it's going to be given to, namely to Christ, but to the the apostles, to the church, to those that are following the resurrected Jesus. And it's crazy because even Jesus tells them all these things at the end. oh, Oh, they knew that he was speaking at them. Verse 46 Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded him as a prophet. After all this story, and they know, you're talking about us, Jesus. What's their conclusion? We want to arrest him. And if you look back early in Matthew 12, they were already plotting to kill him. So Jesus is like, I'm literally talking to you, and this is what you're going to be doing. And they're like, not listening. Yep, we're going to do it. That's exactly what we're going to do. And we don't like what you just told us we're going to do, so we're going to kill you. I just told you you're going to do that. True spiritual blindness. And so that's, that's the passage. That's what's going on here. And so even though there's this, this is going on here, and Jesus is, again, just talking to Jewish religious leaders, which I'm not Jewish, and I'm not, you know, like one of these Jewish religious leaders. So what is that? And I don't think any of you guys are, as far as I know. So what does this mean for us? What are some things that we can, just some observations here? And how, how does this apply implications for you and I today? And so here's the first thing. We reach, we, we reach for control. We reach for control. The text in the story, they didn't beat the messengers or even kill the son because they didn't know who they were. Right? It's not, it's not a case of mistaken identity. What got them to react the way that they did? The tenants started to view themselves as owners. We'll take it. Right? I mean, they already agreed to what they were going to give the owner, the fruit, and what he would pay them. They've already agreed to all that. When it comes time for him to get what he, need, what he wants, for the fruit, they're like, no, we're not going to give you what's rightfully yours. And they say, like, let come, let's get the inheritance for ourselves. And here's the tendency of the human heart, really, in, in a view in me. Our tendency is to think that we're the owner of our own life. Right? I'm in charge. We don't like it if God starts poking his nose in our business. In Romans 8, verse 7, it says that, that our sinful heart has an inward hostility towards God. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor can it. Does it want to? And unless there's some intervention or change, our hearts will just like push against God. I mean, so many times people that that just don't believe in God, it's not necessarily because evidence and everything points away from God. It's because they just refuse to. It's it's, it's, It's because it's just like, I don't, I'm in charge, God. 
I don't want you, I mean, there was even like a, a famous philosopher, I forget his name, but it was just like, no, I can't, like, if God did anything, what would it matter? Could God do anything to prove you, even if something miraculous? Nope, because I don't want him to tell me what to do with my physical life. And that's, that's here. They're just totally rejecting people. And this thing, this sense that we have of wanting to be the owner, that's not just for people that are living in outright rebellion against God, saying, I'll do whatever I want and just go into crazy living. I think also the people that are really religious and self-righteous do the same thing because they're just reaching for control. I'll make sure that I'm good with God because of what I do. And, and we live in a world that, that encourages us to do the same, right? You're the owner of your own life. You're in charge. You determine. You decide. You set the agenda. And just a question I'd have for you is, like, who owns your life? Who owns it? And do you live your life in a way that reflects that you're the owner or that God is? Are you reaching for control? I think many times we treat Jesus like GPS. You know, the Maps app. We set the destination. Here's where I'm going. Because we know that, that God, right, he has something to do with it to make us a happy life and kind of is involved with it somewhere. So as I go along the way, God's going to kind of help me out with that. And so we set the destination. Here's where I'm going to go. And then, God, well, here's how you get to where you want to go. But along the way, we can say, oh, you told me to turn left there, but guess what? I'm not going to do it. And then God will be just like the, the navigation system, recalculating. Thanks, God. Because we, we really think like, no, I'm the one in charge, and God, you're just the navigation system. Because we think we're the owners, not the tenants. Who has control of your life? Who has control of your time? Your schedule? Your finances? There's even a false thing in me asking that. It's not your finances. Right? Who has control of the finances that God has let you use some of his stuff? What about with your relationships, your sexual desire? Everything that you have is a gift from God. God has given you life. God has given you your creativity. God has given you the ability to work, to produce. Ultimately, it all belongs to him. This is what 1 Corinthians 6 says. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, with the precious blood of God. Precious blood of Christ. Are you living your life in a way that reflects that you think you're the owner or that God is? So that's just the first thing that we see. Second thing is this, is we resist to listen. We maybe even refuse to listen. Notice how many times the owner sends people to talk to the tenants. He sends servants. He sends more servants. Sends his son. The people of Israel, all these religious leaders, he's, he sent prophet after prophet over hundreds of years. He sent John the Baptist, and now Jesus is literally God in the flesh, is right in front of their face. Nope, 
Don't want to listen. Even when he says, you're going to kill someone. I mean, th- I mean again, just, just think of the craziness of what's going on here. Can you imagine if somebody that seems pretty trustworthy said, hey, in the next week, you're going to kill someone. I think if somebody told me that, I'd be like, there's no way. But I better be really mindful of that. Right? I mean, can you imagine that? And they're just like, I mean, they, don't even, they don't even say like, there's no way. They're just like, let's get them. But these, I mean, it's, it's so crazy that God reaches out to them over and over again, but they're so stubborn. They refuse, resist to listen. And so for, for you today, how are you kind of ignoring God telling you things? How are you ignoring the voice of God in your life? Right? Because the reality is, he is speaking. God is always at his work. God is pursuing you. God loves you and cares for you, and he's moving towards you, reaching out to you in lots of ways. A lot of ways we can resist that, resist his voice. I mean, kind of one of the most obvious ways, there's different ways that this happens. Probably one of the most obvious ways is just God's word, right? If you're like, oh, God, would you speak? He has a lot. It's awesome. Thank you, God. Are you ignoring something right now in God's word? You're like, man, I know what it says. I know what God has said, but I don't know if I want to listen to that. I think I'm the owner. Are you paying attention? Are you even like trying to hear what, it, what God is saying in his word? Right in the Psalms, your, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path. Peter says, where do we go, Jesus? Because you have the words of eternal life. God, I need you to hear you speaking to me. Because you are speaking. Are you ignoring what God is saying to you? Another way that I think that we ignore, we resist to listen, is what God says through others. But that, yeah, that might come through a sermon. But I think a lot of times it just comes through someone in our life. Someone that, that's there to, to sharpen us, to encourage us. I think a lot of times, like... Maybe you have somebody like that, but you don't want to listen to them, and you talk yourself into not listening to them because you just poke things in their life that they do wrong. Hmm? Or you're like, well, they didn't say it like this. You don't, like, they don't have mainly the problem. You have a listening problem. This story here is very similar, right? Jesus tells them this parable, and it's like, yep, that's you. It's very similar to when Nathan, the prophet, goes to King David. And, and Nathan tells him a parable. And he's like, hey, there's this guy. And he had thousands of sheep. And then there's this other guy. And he just had one. And the guy with thousands of sheep, the, the king, he wanted to entertain somebody. But instead of using one of his own sheep, he went and stole the one sheep from the one guy. And he loved that sheep dearly. And he killed the sheep to just eat it. What do you think, David? And David's furious when he hears the parable. That guy should, he's so angry. He's like, that guy should be put to death. And then Nathan says these words to him. You're the man. That's you. Now here, when Jesus basically tells them, this is you, they refuse to listen. When Nathan, even though it's so terrible what David did, David repents. 
We all need a Nathan in our life. We all need somebody to tell us how it is. Man, you're, you're, how's this going in your life? Man, are you really following God here? Not to like punk us, but to help us towards Christ. Do you have somebody like that in your life? If you don't, if you're like, well, I don't. Man, find somebody. I mean, the reason that we do sit groups and huddles and things like that, it's not just because we're like, let's make cool programs. We do these things so that we can live out life to one another because we all need somebody around us. If you think the first thing in Scripture that God said, that's not good. God said it's not good for man to be alone. But here's the lie that we start to believe and the enemy tells us, no, it is good for you to be alone. Right? Or you are alone. You don't, you don't need anybody. Solve it yourself. Time after time, I haven't really seen that work out too hot for people. Even for myself. Like, oh, I got this. And I find out, no, I don't. But God has given us this gift of others in our life. He, man, here's the family of God. Carry out these, these one another's, pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another, spur one another on towards loving good deeds. It's hard to do those one another's if there isn't others in your life to do that with. Maybe a step for you is to just get, get plugged in some way. Are you ignoring what, what other people are, are saying to you? You know the way that we resist to listen to, to God? It's through our tough circumstances and our pain. None of us like tough situations or hard circumstances. They're not fun. And I'm not saying that God makes all of those things happen just to get through to you. But I just say a lot of times that <clears throat> in those tough circumstances, God does speak. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciousness but shouts to us in our pain. It's a megaphone to a deaf world. Is there something, maybe you're in, a, in kind of a tough situation right now, or maybe you're just kind of coming out of one. Pay it in those seasons. Pay attention to how God is speaking to you. Listen up to how he, what he might be saying. Another way is unfulfilled longings. I think we could all relate to this, right? We want something, we want it, we want it. And we get it, and then it doesn't really work. Maybe it works for a little bit. Oh, if I could just get that job. And you get it, and then a little while later, you're like, this isn't everything I thought it would be. If I could just get this relationship. If I could just go to this website. If I could just get this kind of money. It just doesn't fulfill. And then a lot of times we think, it didn't fulfill, so I know, I'll just get more of it. I'll just go back to that website again and again. I'll just get more money. I'll just make my kids more successful. And it never really works, does it? Those unfulfilled longings are a way that God might be telling you, screaming at you, those are terrible gods. Stop looking to these empty things. I mean, again, just another quote from C.S. Lewis. He goes, if I find my, myself with desires which nothing in this world will satisfy, if I have these desires and, and nothing in this world will satisfy them, 
the only explanation is that I was created for another world. These things aren't meant to fulfill you completely because they're not God. Remember how the parable starts, right? Listen. Is there any ways that you need to be listening to God? Last thing is this, is rely on God for fruit. I mean, the whole point, right, of the field, of everything, it repeats it over and over again, is produce fruit, produce fruit. What fruit? Fruit of the kingdom. To love God, to love others, to live differently, to live in community. Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. And, and this, this parable... In some ways, it is a warning. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, if you think about it, he's just talking to them, but it is just like, are you producing fruit? Are you doing what you were made for? And so is your life producing fruit? Generosity. Pursuit of holiness. Getting uncomfortable to help others or to share the gospel. To live on mission. Because we're, we're, we're now the, the tenants of God's vineyard. Right? Of God's, God's kingdom of what God wants to do in this world. I mean, the, the scriptures, you, you're a new creation and you're Christ's ambassadors. Right? We represent Christ in this world. Is there fruit in your life? And it's not just that God's like, hey, produce it, go. In the story, he gives them everything. He gives them the land. He gives them all, probably the tools, the wine press, the, the watchtower. Well, he gives them everything so that it will just produce fruit. Just tend to it. And the same is true for us. In, in, in John 15, remain in me and I also in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It re must remain in the vine. must remain in Christ. So rely on God to produce fruit in your life, to shape you, to change you. There's nothing greater for us to live for than for Christ and what he wants to do in this world. I mean, I just want you to think as, as we just kind of look back as like, why should we even care if we produce fruit? Why should we care if we resist God or anything? Like, just look at the goodness of God in this passage. Right, they, they, the, the tenants say, let's kill him so that we can take the inheritance. Here's the reality is that Christ willingly laid down his life so that you could have his inheritance. What he's earned, what he's rightfully deserved, he's like, hey, I will die so that you could have that. I just think of the pursuit of God the Father. He sends tenants more tenants or more servants, servants again, people to speak to them, to reach to them, to hopefully get through to them. And then he ends up sending his son. And again, I'm just like, I ain't doing that. If that was me, there's no way if people were acting like that to other people that I'd sent, would I send my son into that to people that have like betrayed me, people that have refused. I'm not like, well, go, go, go in there, son. There's just no way that I'm doing that. And the question, right, what will the owner do? What should he do? Well, he should send some people to go kill those guys. But what did God do? 
God did send his son, fully knowing what would happen. And that's just how crazy the gospel is. He's always reaching out to us, and he gave his son to suffer and die so that we might have life. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much um, just for who you are. Lord, we thank you that, that this parable is a reminder of how you do pursue us constantly. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would just help us to, re- to think, to reflect, to be honest, Lord, of maybe ways that, that we are refusing to listen, that we're acting like the owners of our life, Lord, that, that maybe there's just some ways that we need to rely on you to produce fruit in, in us and through us. Um, so, Lord, just help us to, to come to you, maybe not with it all figured out, but just to come to you, Lord, with everything. So give us that strength, Lord, and we ask that.